Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor here at Awaken Church, along with Matthew Grady Calhoun, hey. Shane Suggs, Sup. and Connor Hawk. What's up? And we're here for week 10, the final week of season two of the Wordsmith Podcast. We're excited to be wrapping up um, this season, and we are on the edge of summer, especially by the time this podcast airs, we will be like on the crisp of summer. What do you guys look forward to most about summer? Longer days. Man, I love longer days. I mean, I, you know, get off work and you got four or five hours probably sometimes to work in the yard or do whatever. Yeah. So I like the longer days. I, my girls will be home for, well, for some of the summer anyway. Yeah. Eden's going away to, I don't know, some other part of the world. Bulgaria? Uh, Yeah, sounds about right. Um, so she'll be gone uh, five, six weeks during the summer, and then we'll get our little family vacation, that sort of thing. So that I look forward to that every year because we don't, you know, especially now because we don't get them as often because, uh, like when the girls were little, like, you know, you, you're going to be wherever we are. But now they're not. They're very seldom ever where we are. So I look forward more to our family vacation time than probably in years past. Yeah. Well, I'm going to Jamaica on a mission trip, so that should be yeah. good. I was yeah. looking in today about some uh, shots I have to get, um, and I was kind of COVID worried. vaccine. Well, not yeah. They said if you're traveling there, you can get it, or if not, you don't have to. So I'm going to talk to my mother about that. But there's some shots I need to get, like hepatitis, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I like to travel. The past two summers, I've gone on road trips with buddies back home. This summer is different because my roommate Matthew, he is having to stay over the summer summer classes um, so he will not be able to travel with me at all hmm. um, and then Turner my good friend he has stuff going on and I'll be working with his cousin back home remodeling houses doing that and then youth camp we have that coming up in July um, June 28th through July 2nd I'm really excited about that with the woke kids me too and then oh yeah Shane loves the youth just let everybody know that and <laughs> kids camp at the end of July yeah and just travel so yeah I'm not looking forward to it at all. Okay. Don't. I'm uh, not a summer person. Yeah. Really? <laughs> you don't like the summer? All right. So here's the thing. Uh, I've lived most of my life, obviously, in South Georgia, and then uh, a brief stint in Nashville, Tennessee, and then Central Texas. So I've never really lived anywhere where it's got properly cold. Nashville was probably the closest. So, I mean, when the actual summer comes around, it's like super hot. <laughs> I have not had working air conditioning in my truck since I lived in Texas. <laughs> my apartment, despite being only 500 square feet, um, still has a ridiculous electric bill during the summer. So it doubles basically during the summer to that of what someone actually who's you know renting a house would have to pay. So no, it's just summer's just awful. I'm just <laughs> I'm a summer curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I love summer. I do too. You know, I'm surprised you like summer so much, Shane. Though, because you're such a like schedule oriented person, and summer like disorient schedules just in general. Um. Well, no, it, not for me. It it's a different schedule. It's the different schedule than the rest of the year. But sure. it, I mean, I still schedule. It's just an expanded schedule for me. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't look forward to the higher power bill because if I'm when I come home, I'm gonna. I'm definitely yeah. going to have a cold house. Yeah, we do the yeah. balanced bill. Our bill's the same thing year-round, so we're paying for the summer and the winter kind of deal. But. Oh, yeah, no. My my power bill during the summer is really low. I mean, during the winter is really low because we don't ever run anything because mm-hmm. we, we, we just don't, but the summer we do. Is it Was it hot this past summer in Tipton? Like really bad? I, I wouldn't say really bad. Uh, I don't yeah. remember it being really bad, but no, I mean, it was I mean, a hot, hot summer but... because, because it's South Georgia, but... Mm-hmm. I remember the maybe second or third year Ashley and I were married between church camps and going to see family and, and different things. We were in uh, the Homerville, which is where we live at the time, a total of like three or four days the entire month of June. Our power bill was two dollars and forty seven cents. Wow. I know. It was amazing. I'm like, yeah. how did I just cut everything off? We did, man. We wow. Like we were I, I mean we left the refrigerator on. I would have thought that alone would have pulled more power than Two dollars and something. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. now, um, since you have kids still in school, what's summer break? I mean, like, I mean, when I was in elementary school, it was 
Memorial Day to Labor Day. That was your yeah. summer. And so, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. Memorial Day part still pretty true. Our kids get out before Memorial Day. I don't know exactly okay. when. But they actually go back to school this year, July 31st. Wow. Wow, really? Yeah, That's I know. It's kind a of lot. a punch in the gut. Even if it's August 1st, it just doesn't seem so bad. Right, yeah. But July 31st just seems like, no, no, you're, you're on the wrong month there. Because I remember right. when I was in elementary school, we had three months off. Yeah. And then when I got into middle school, it, it, they changed it to two months. And then in high school, we, you know, we got out in August, mm-hmm. not August, May. And then we'd go back August. I'm, out, I'm confused here. Yeah, he, he August second. So yeah, yeah. it would yeah. change over time. We always went back like mid to late August. Yeah, well, you know? I, I remember when I was in elementary school, we went back the week after Labor Day. We got out the week before Memorial Day, so we had three proper summer. months, mm-hmm. you know, off. Um, so man, and I really, I really miss yeah. those days. Well, the it, thing now is they have a bigger, like bigger breaks during the year. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, see, that's like some of the schools in Columbus, they're doing year round schools. So Mm -hmm. like, like where I used to get two weeks off for Christmas, they may get three weeks off and then the whole week for Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's what we used to get two days for Thanksgiving. My kids always get a week. Yeah, I remember we just used to get two days for Thanksgiving. I enjoy the summer. I enjoy the kids being around more. Um, Even just like having a midday, hey, let's meet out at Rutland Farms, eat ice cream, that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy the, the church camps and our national convention and different trips that we get to take because it's sure. summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the heat, but sure. that just kind of comes with it. There's just something that feels nice about summer. You know, like school's out for summer. Now, when I was when I was younger, me and my dad used to have this argument all the time, and I don't know why. We just like we like to argue, sons and dads, mm-hmm. I guess. I was like, man, summer's the worst. Like I would rather colder weather, and I hated hot weather. And my dad's like, no, man, I'd love, I'd, I'd much rather be in hot weather than I would cold weather. Um, but, you know, the older I get, I'm like, I'm, st- I'm starting to flip a little bit. I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of like the spring and summer a little more than I like the fall and winter now. I, I the blood's more, thinning out. Yeah, maybe getting more cold nature. You know, I just had a birthday <laughs> this week, so uh, maybe if I'm getting more cold nature. Um, I don't know. Mm. Quick question, then we'll transition. Are you beach people? Because that's a lot of what you think of in the summer is beach. Sure, Do you sure. like the beach, Matthew? Uh, I'm not opposed to its existence. I don't get particularly excited about it. That's then, definitely Shame. not an answer. <laughs> it's an answer, just not a good one. <laughs> um, okay, I'm I'm changing on that too. Uh, I've always been a mountains guy. Like I want to go up to the mountains or stuff, and I still yeah. really love the mountains, and that's my preferable vacation spot is you know somewhere in tennessee or something like that and uh when of course when my kids were younger we we like to stay on the go so like we weren't going to sit at the beach all day type of people we had we'd go to the beach but we would you know spend like an hour there and then we're on the go to but now man i can sit at the beach all day long yeah and not do anything i could do that right now i used to couldn't but now i can't man i and so yeah i kind of like the beach Connor? Beach, yes. I'm kind of like Shane. I love the mountains. I love going to Gautenberg, Pigeon Forge. Um, my parents always did that. And like Shane said, my family was always on the go. So when we were at the beach, we'd be at the beach for a couple you know, hours, but my mom, she has like pale skin, so she would like burn really easy. And my dad would lay out. So my mom was like, hey, we got we got to go do something else. We got to go ride go-karts or something, because she was like, I'm burning. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I always loved the beach. I just don't like it gets everywhere, you know. It's just yeah. terrible. It's the same. So yeah. I love to be around the ocean, but not at the beach. So like if I'm in a hotel with a balcony overlooking the ocean, love it. Mm-hmm. But when I transcend down to what I call the horrible S's, sand, salt water, and sunburn, I yeah. hate them. Like I cannot stand sun, sand getting everywhere. I do not like being sunburnt. And I mean, salt water I can take or leave, but I'm not crazy about it. But now last year, Ashley and I took a cruise for our, our anniversary it was kind of belated we were supposed to do it for our 10-year anniversary and just had some stuff happen and so we were um did our 10-year anniversary a couple years later but um we went to a private island we were on a cruise and we stopped at a private private island on perfect day at coco Cay. and okay man it was a perfect day because i laid out i didn't have a phone i had a book and i just laid there really man it was peaceful and that was the week before covid really like heated up yeah like if we'd been on the cruise ship the next week we may not have been able to come home oh wow and i mean they the week after they actually quit doing cruises so i was like i I didn't know at the moment like how important that day of rest was going to be because the next year was going to be so stressful man 
it was amazing. But I didn't. I just kept my feet out of the sand and covered. Wish they could just bottle up that smell from when you come back from the beach. It just that would be, a, that would be a big seller. The smell of beach. I think they yeah. do. They do in the that. Avatar ride at Disney World. They do. I think actually. I think Kramer that, already come up with that book. Yeah, yeah. that was the Seinfeld reference for our listeners. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I was making one. I don't know who all ca- Matt called it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I Josh knows the Avatar guy. ride, man. He d- he's looking at me, but he knows what ride I'm talking about. Uh, all right, let's transition. We're going to be finishing up First Peter today, chapter five. Pastor Matthew, do you mind reading that for us? Yes, sir. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Supersuvanus, a faithful brother, as I considered him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as is Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss. Peace to all who are in Christ. All right, so he dives into his concluding thoughts here in chapter 5 and starts this chapter off with thoughts on an elder. Speaking to the elder, what is an elder? Well, we would think many times of of a, a pastor being an elder, um, and in scripture, several words are used: shepherd, mm-hmm. um, bishop, elder. Pastor. Um, yeah, pastor. Um, the, but when they use the term elder, it normally just kind of highlights spiritual maturity um, in, in the in the leader. Um, so, I, and you know, it's probably why, maybe why he uses the term, you know, here elder. Um, to speak of those in spiritual maturity, because then he goes on to kind of highlight what that, how that's fleshed out. Yeah, one um, great note from Dr. Piccarelli, he said, In the New Testament in general, the term elder seems essentially equivalent to bishop or to pastor. Elder views the office from the point of qualification as one mature. Pastor looks at it metaphorically, being equivalent to the shepherd. And bishop sees it from the perspective of responsibility to exercise watch care and oversight. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's a, a good overview of saying these three titles are talking about the same person, but they're kind of highlighting different attributes sure. yeah. um, of that person. And I was going to say, although he obviously here by elder, he's talking to a class of, of people or whatever position, those who have a position there within the church. It is mm-hmm. important to keep in mind, I mean, most of the elders would have been older gentlemen. Uh, it was not a requirement that they be older. It was just been the natural way of things. Much like churches nowadays tend not to have a lot of young men, that really has been the case. I've been studying the last several months uh, kind of the history of church demographically as best you can. That really has always kind of been the case for the most part. It was a little bit different in the early church because they were so marked out and different than the world around them, uh, certainly more so than we are. But generally speaking, it was typically older men that was holding those positions. But it was by no means a requirement, as obviously Timothy would be a great example of uh, the opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, just the term itself, elder, implies either age, or as Dr. Piccolo says, life experience maturity Mm -hmm. can be added on that, because sometimes people are more mature at younger ages. But that term, elder, it it requires a sense of maturity, as you said, Shane, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's it's not a... It's not an exact term like, you know, you know, you you have to be older because but you can't I mean, you can't um, you can't write to the exception. You kind of write towards the rule. Right. So, right. One of the things I think is really interesting as we look at this transition towards the end, you know, Peter has been dealing with this church that's in persecution, difficult days, trouble is that he takes the time to talk about leaders. And I one note that I saw when I was reading this week that I think is important 
is that in difficult times, leadership is important. When the church is facing struggles, it's worth taking time to to focus on leadership and to make sure that leaders can lead well in difficult times. And that's what Peter gets at here. And so I'm just going to read this, and then we'll talk about some of the things that he's calling elders to do. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out for greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those who entrust you, but being examples to the flock. So what are the things that Peter's calling elders and pastors to do here? Well, he basically highlights um, three areas. And uh, I don't I don't know if if some people are more prone to one or the other, but um, the first one when he says, you know, not out of compulsion, but willingly, um, he's saying don't be lazy, you know, don't be a lazy um, leader. Then he says, you know, not out of greed um, for money, but um, eagerly, not don't be dishonest with your finances. And then uh, the the last one where he says, and not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the the flock he's saying be be good leaders don't say hey well you got to do this because this is what i what i say do or you know difference between a boss and a leader you know that um sort of sort of thing and because like in in the modern church it seems like we we so easily lend ourselves to the cult of personality um not necessarily to the character of the leader and so all these i think in a um uh, like Matt said in, the, in his message this Sunday, like you allow scripture to wash over you. Yeah. It's really getting at the heart of the leader, like like yeah. the character of them, um, right. not necessarily because somebody can be very um, charismatic. They can, you know, they can be very um, persuasive, but may not be a leader with character, with great character, because those yeah. two are not synonymous with one another. Um, right. They can, and many times are at opposite ends of the spectrum. So I think yeah. what he's really saying is, you know, be be men of character, be leaders of character. Yeah, and, and diving even a little bit deeper, you know, the, out of the compulsion, not doing it out of compulsion, like not do it because it's a job, not just, hey, you know, I feel like I got to do this, so let me do it, or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason you find yourself in ministry, don't just do it out of that. It's a willing, and, and we know that. We're all um, pastors and leaders here, that it has to be something that you want to do and that you're willing mm-hmm. to do, that you desire to do. Um, you know, talking about finances, not don't you're not out for money. Not even just managing your finances well. You don't do ministry for money. You're not just um, hungry for money. Or even the the phrase Scripture says that we're not in love with money. It's not loving money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that you don't get paid, but it's that you know you're not doing it to have a four million dollar house or whatever. Sure. And then for me, that third one is just not be, don't be on a power trip. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and right. trying to like lording it over and. Hey, I'm the leader. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. You know, yeah. Do what I say. You know, it's like not an all about me. Abuse of power. Or yeah. Abuse of authority, almost. Yeah. And unfortunately, we see all three of those, you know, lived out in the wrong way. You know, in different examples. Oh, sure. You know, all the time. Yeah, I mean that last one there really is important. The uh, but being examples to the flock. We don't want to go start mentioning particulars, but just over the last several years, the last ten years, really. Uh, you've had a lot of pastors who have had very public falls, yeah. and for yeah. most of them, it's because their their private life has not matched up with their public life yeah. or sure. their public witness, so to speak, what have you. So that is, as Pastor Shane was talking about, a character is seems to be. If you wanted to summarize those three, it's the idea of character for these yeah. leaders that he's trying to really encourage them to to work on and, and to build up. Yeah, and I would say for each of those great falls that we've seen, if you were to examine their situation more or deeper that you would say that one of these three were lacking significantly. Oh, sure. Um, and and very clearly. Yeah, yeah, at least one. Yeah. But you could probably point to one of these three areas as opposed to anything else, say, this is the reason they fail. You know, I, I can think of some guys we've seen that have either failed or where it would go, okay, yeah, clearly it was the third thing. Like they were on a power trip and something, you know, happened there or finance, you know, any of those things. And so, you know, it's amazing to me 2,000 years ago, Peter can nail down something that's so important to go. If a leader could just focus on these things, they can they can have a solid ministry because their character will be solid. Yeah, and it's worth remembering too. I mean, this was an issue back then too. <laughs> it's not yeah. like it just recently became right. a, a problem or whatever. Because I mean, Paul Paul talks about the super apostles, those who were belittling him as he was in prison, saying, "Well, look, he's in prison, so clearly God's favor is not on him." Always been yeah. an issue. Yeah, and you know, thinking about the financial realm, I, I remember listening to Rick Warren speak one time. Rick Warren wrote Purpose Driven Life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's made a, a lot of money in his life. But 
when I was hearing him talk, he was talking about this area of generosity and was specifically talking about being tempted with the lust of the eyes. The, the, or the, Sorry, yeah, the lust of the eyes. Um, the things that you see, I want it, I got to have it. And he said that when they, when he got his first check for Purpose Driven Life, it was a million dollars. Yeah. And um, he remembered, he said he opened it up, and he was like, wow. And he went and sat down at the table with his wife, and he said, look, we got to talk right now. He said, because if we don't set up some boundaries, mm-hmm. what's in this envelope will ruin our lives. That's right. Yeah, and they actually had conversation before he even opened it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, they, that they, may they, be it. Maybe before he even yeah, saw how much yeah, it was. Yeah, I read something on that. Yeah, and I heard time, him speak yeah. about it, and it was just so— and he talked very clearly. Like, they immediately went back, and he paid back every church that had ever paid him because he said, I can yeah. afford to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah. doesn't receive any money to travel, speak anywhere. I fact check people sometimes, and sometimes you get the sure. chance to do it on purpose. I went to a conference at Saddleback, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe. And so, you know, the, those larger churches, they have like parking spots. It's like this is Rick Warren's parking spot. Sure. And this was, you know, mid-2000s. He was driving like a 1999 Ford Expedition. So I was like, okay, he fact checks here, you know. Yeah. But he, sure. they set up all these guidelines, and one of them was reverse tithing. He's like, if I can make a million dollars, I can afford to give 90%. And so like these different things that they started doing, and that to me has always just been a testimony to me ago, you know, that's a good, like he looked at these three areas and said, you know what, I need to be wise here because this could ruin my life, my ministry and everything else. Okay. Peter transitions from here to talk about two areas that, and this is, and keep in mind here, Peter's wrapping this up. And so he's really thinking, what do I need to really focus on? He talks about two areas that were important for them and is important throughout the history of the church and that submission and humility. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfaded, unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does it mean to clothe yourself with humility? And how does that tie in to this same call of submission? The understanding that you don't know everything. Um, mm-hmm. being able to accept that you're wrong in some sort um, and someone older than you, someone wiser than you knows it better than you and they've been through it and you might want to just listen to what they have to say and submitting yeah. to that um, and I think that's hard for younger people to do sometimes. It's hard yeah. for me to do that. But Absolutely. You know, Mark Twain said, when I was 20 years old, my father was an idiot. When I became 40 years old, my father was a genius. And then he said, it's amazing how much he could learn in those 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't the father, obviously. Especially being in the position that I am here at the church, knowing the fact that, you know, Shane and you have been in youth ministry before and asking you guys questions and, you know, not standing back in my own little corner and being mm-hmm. like, oh, I can do this all myself. And, I'm trying to figure this out by myself, but no, coming to you guys and asking you the hard questions, hey, how do I do this? Hey, how do I do that? And I guess being able to be able to do that and submitting to that and talking to you guys. Sure. There, there are few things that are more in line with humility than actually listening to someone else. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of the easiest things in the sense that it doesn't actually take a lot of effort to do, but you have to actually pull back that pride a little bit. Like, All right, I'm going to actually listen to what this person's going to yeah. say to me instead of just waiting for them to stop talking so I can say whatever I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have troubles with that myself. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that he says, you know, clothe yourselves in it, it would have literally meant wrap this around you. And even in today's society and, and back then as well, um, humility isn't looked at as a virtue, but he's, he's posturing it here as a virtue um, for the the follower of Christ, especially for leaders, um, because it, like if you and, and especially ta- speaking in the terms of like serving others, when we say something like "Man, I wouldn't do that," that's humiliating. That, that's you don't. I mean, when you say things like that, you're putting in, in the term that it's not a virtue, like it's it's right. to be avoided. Yeah. Um, and he's saying no, like it's it's to be embraced. Right. You know. It reminds me of what we looked at last season in Peter. I mean, Peter Philippians chapter two. Have this mind among you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he go, Paul goes on to talk about this humility that Christ portrayed. And it ties in, too, with this same statement he's just making to elders about maturity and, you know, this implication about a maturity there. That, to me, humility is one of those small signs of maturity. And, I mean, we all remember what it's like to be young and 
20. Connor's still there. How old are you? 21, Connor? 21. 21. I mean, I remember when I was 21, I really thought I had all the answers. Like, I thought I knew everything. And, and specifically about ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at people that were 40, 50, 60 years old and go, man, I, I've got a better picture. And I think when you really begin to say, okay, there's some maturity taking place, is when you begin to go, you know what? I really don't know as much as I thought. Like, I look now almost 40 years old and go, man, I don't know nearly what I thought I knew at 20. Yeah, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said um, humility is a slippery virtue because it leads to, uh, it often will lead to the other virtues. That has always stuck with me. Oh, that's a good statement. All right, well, we will take a break and we'll be back with our deep dive in just a minute. It's time for our deep dive, and today we're going to deep dive into different types of books in the Bible. I was thinking about this as we were wrapping up um, this letter from Peter, uh, just kind of going through the different breakdowns of books in the Bible, what they are, um, why we have them, uh, and I think Connor and I were even talking before, I don't think you were even aware that there were these different breakdowns of styles of genres. books, genres. Um, so let's just kind of work through what they are and what books kind of fall where and um, why it's helpful to know that stuff. Anybody want to lead us off there? Well, I can I can touch on why it's helpful to know these things. Okay. Because you don't read all types of literature the same way. You don't read a, like just in general reading, I'm not talking about biblically yet, but you don't read a biography the same way you read a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, you read those two types of literature differently. Well, the same thing would apply to the Bible whenever you have a, in essence, the Gospels are biographies. And so you would read those different then you would read Psalms, which is, you know, book of um, poetry. So yeah. you, you're going to read those because there, there's going to be way more metaphorical references in Psalms and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things. So you're not going to read them. So that's why it's helpful to know whenever you're reading a certain book of the Bible, you're saying, okay, what kind of book is this? What genre of literature? Yeah. That's how I need to be reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that does help a ton. Uh, let's talk through some of the breakdowns. So the first category of the Bible would be the law, the Pentateuch, which is first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Genesis, the Exodus, Torah. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, those books are heavy on in establishing the law of God. Mm-hmm. Um, Ten Commandments mm-hmm. obviously fall in there. Deuteronomy. A lot of narratives. Yeah, Deuteronomy is basically a summary of the first four books in, in many sure. ways. Um, and then we go to history. Which gives us what Joshua, Joshua Judges, Ruth, First Second Kings, First Second Samuel, um, Chronicles, Job. Job kind of well, Job is kind of falls into poetry category. No, well. yes, yeah, it's, it's more a book of wisdom, isn't it? Like, it, not, yeah, it, it's it when they not everybody agrees what all fits into the wisdom category, but Job's always there. Yeah, yeah. So it's more, it, and a lot of it is written in poetic prose. So yes, right. Um, so we got wisdom. Yeah, so wisdom would also include uh, Ecclesiastes. Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs. The Psalms are kind of weird because if you're going to have to force them into one, it would be wisdom. Sure. But then they're really not consistent with the other ones, truth be told. Because yeah. really the book of Psalms was more for the liturgical or the worship of the uh uh, yeah. the nation of Israel at the time or whatever, and then the churches continue to use it. I know when we took Bible um, survey classes, yeah. but Psalms and, and I mean, even Job, Ecclesiastes, all those fell into poetry and prophecy. They kind of sure. lumped all of that to, stuff to together. Kind of say it, yeah. The wisdom. and um, Talking about the wisdom, song Job and Songs, yes. or Song of Solomon, whichever you prefer to call it, yes. uh, that would also fit into the wisdom category. Yeah, or it's in a category of its own in some ways. Uh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, can't get too deep in that. <laughs> but, you know, talking about the wisdom aspect is interesting because one of my 400-level classes at Bible College was Job and Ecclesiastes. Yeah. And those are two books you don't think all of a sudden go together, but they do because they are they all do. about life lessons and wisdom. And, oh, sure. Um, and then pro- prophecy, you've got your major prophets and your minor prophets. Let's talk mm-hmm. through some of those. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Yeah. Um, just, just so everybody knows... 
when we use the term major and minor profit, that's in terms of length of book, not importance. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I was a kid, I used to think, man, I, if I was going to be a prophet, I'd want to be a major prophet, not a minor one, because they're more important. But that it has nothing <laughs> to do to my, with that. Talk to Jeremiah about that. You yeah. might not want to be. Well, that's true. Well, but you know, as a ten-year-old kid, you don't know any better because yeah. that's about when we were learning our books of the Bible and what categories they went in, and uh, so we started learning about the major and minor prophets. But sure, yeah. uh, our our pastor at the time, he's like, this this has to do with the length of books. So, yeah, yeah. Sunday school didn't often talk about Jeremiah laying naked in the ditch, crying out to God. <laughs> yes, please just go ahead and kill me. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sunday school tend to leave leave that part of Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah, Jeremiah is one of the most miserable characters in all of Scripture. But to me, one of the most beautiful parts of that. I've, I've talked about this many times, Lamentations chapter 3, mm-hmm. where, I mean, he gives this description of depression that is unreal. I mean, sure. like God is attacking him and hunting him and mm-hmm. wanting to stick a quiver in his side. And then he says, but this I call to mind. Even though my situation is awful, my perspective is awful, I'm going to remember this because it is true. Lord's mercies are new every day. That's Great right. is thy faithfulness. Right. And then the minor prophets, we've got Jonah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Nahum. Mm-hmm. Micah. Micah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, or as my home church pastor would say, the Italian prophet Malici. <laughs> Malici. You know, my pastor used to tell he used to tell me that he knew my favorite book of the Bible, and I was like, which one? He said Obadiah, and I was like, why is that? He said Obadiah. That's, <laughs> that's what he called Obadiah, and uh, oh, it was kind of embarrassing at that time. Sure uh, but. Man, I remember when I was a young preacher. When I say young preacher, like I was in high school, I was preaching at our association meeting. And I had one of those really small, thin line Bibles because my eyesight was really good at the time. And I was preaching out of Jonah. And I did not know the lesson then that when you're preaching out of a book of the Bible, it's a really good idea to mark it. So I just get up there and start trying to find Jonah. I'm nervous. First time I've ever preached in front of a group of pastors. And um, I turn and I turn and I turn and I turn (laughs) past it. And I go back. And this guy in the back, Harvey Hamilton, he said, it's after Obadiah, out loud, and as if I that would help anybody. Well, that, that was my exact. That was my exact statement. I said, or not exact, but I said, "Great." Now I'm looking for two pages instead of one and a half. <laughs> and, uh, man, I I learned that day. That if, if I'm especially if you're preaching out of one of those minor prophets, you better mark it because yeah. it, it can get tough. Uh, then we move into the New Testament, the Gospels. Um, one thing some people may not know is the difference between the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. So anybody want to talk about that a bit? Mm, Synoptic means same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have much, I think it's it's like 70% of the books uh, overlap. Um, and John's the one that's, that's different than the other three. Um, so, and, and they're all written, well, mostly like in narrative form. Mm-hmm. So that's a it's more of a biographical, even though it doesn't necessarily fit as a you know fully as a biopic. But um, yeah, the Book of John really focuses heavily on the relationships sure, yeah. that Jesus had with different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark being the shortest of those. Mark Mark seems to move really fast. Like if yeah. you've ever read, like whenever I read through the Gospels, like Mark's the easiest one because it's just like, it's like an action picture. It's like, man, the scenes are just moving really quick, yeah. one right after another. And it feels like there's a there's a lot that kind of gets missed. But then you read Matthew and Luke, and it, they kind of fill in the gaps of a lot of what Mark is saying also. Sure, and Mark was probably the first of the three, if memory serves correctly. Yeah. Well, and it's Peter's, yeah. Peter's account of the Gospel. Yeah. History, that's what history teaches. Is it's probably... It, it, was pro- it was probably written and at least available to Matthew and Luke. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So d- whenever they were giving their accounts. Luke's gospel goes into a lot of details. Yeah. Luke approached writing this book as a researcher. You know, he's he's gathering information for Theophilus. And yeah. so, I mean, he really mm-hmm. tried to work hard on getting um, the details right. And really, and he just was a detail-oriented person. Sure. Um, of course, he was a traveling companion of Paul that um, many people yeah. think maybe even Paul's personal doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he de- his, of the four, his is the most that is like history now that we read or what have you. Yeah. And then it's also the least romantic, which sounds bad, but it's really not. It's just the way he approached it. Yeah, sure. Probably tells us a lot about his personality. Yeah. But he also wrote Acts, which... Acts is a book of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it kind of stands course, alone. Of course, the history of the church, right? It's it's pretty much the only one in the New Testament that is 
um, a book of history, not that some of them don't account yep. for historical oh, sure. events, but they're they're written totally different. And, and if you go word for word, Luke probably wrote most of the New Testament. Yes. Um, if you go Between word for, Luke no, and Acts, yeah. Right, yeah. But if you go like number of books, of course, Paul did, because yep. most of the epistles are written by um, yep. Paul. But, yep. uh, but, but I think sometimes... It's amazing we, if you take into account, too, how much Luke was there for, in, you know, including Paul's writings, because he and sure. Paul were so close. Yeah, uh, He's not one of those we think maybe the most influential New Testament people, but really... Yeah, pretty influential. Sure, yeah. But I think some sometimes the uh, the tendency is because he wrote both of them, we re reread both of them the same way or apply both of them the same way, that sort of thing. But a lot of times you can get in in um, dangerous uh, theological situations when you read two different genres of writings and you try to interpret them the exact same way. A lot of times, if you use the same protocol to to interpret them, you wind up coming with some conclusions that aren't necessarily true or helpful. Um, so we always have to be yeah, on guard that. against that. Mm-hmm. Now, Acts in Bible College, we studied Acts with the Pauline epistles, yeah. and mainly because you can look through the history of the Book of Acts and find where the each of these epistles were written. Right. Sorry, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but you could look and say, okay, this epistle was written in Acts chapter 16 or 17. Sure. Uh, while Paul was in yeah. this situation or at this place. Um, and so, but Acts does stand alone. Then we have the Pauline epistles, which are the epistles that were written by Paul, yeah. letters to the church. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most people are pretty comfortable with those. But let's just name them off just so we don't miss it. It's 13? You're we'll count them as we do it. So we got First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Romans. I said those out of order, but Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Galatians Ephesians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Oh, well, Paul did not write Hebrews. He, I, Paul did not write Hebrews. There are, there are <laughs> scholars who believe that he did. I don't know. No I, serious ones. I wouldn't yeah. call them not serious. Yeah. I'm there's, joking. There's I'm joking. very few of them. Yeah, yeah. Paul didn't write Hebrews. I I don't, I, I, I don't know for sure who wrote it. I have but my opinions. Would, but either Pastor way, Matt's if, laughing because he, he knows I'm about to go he, into it. But if he did or yeah, if he didn't, he it's are. not an epistle. It's, yeah. it wouldn't be written as an epistle. I mean, it's it's more of a man a heavy yeah. theological book. Hebrews really, uh, it's actually a sermon. Most scholars seem to agree that it was yeah. just a sermon. Now you have to remember, sermons back then were a lot longer than ours for the most part. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it just seems the way it's presented seems to be in in, in light of uh, someone yeah. giving a, a a lecture, a sermon, or what yeah. have you. Much more than because the other thing you got to remember about the epistles too. Before we move on, um, most of them were written as responses to a letter that he yes. Got. Corinthians being the first example. So there, there's definitely another letter before Paul wrote 1 Corinthians because yeah. he's answering some of their specific questions. Some of their questions. Yeah, right. specific. Yeah. Connor, do you have an opinion on who wrote the book of Hebrews? <laughs> I don't think it was Paul. Well, good good job um, there. I really don't know who it was. Yeah, that's I don't, I don't know who it was. I know that I've yeah. read people who have said, hey, I, yeah. I think it was Paul. This is why I think it's Paul. Yeah, there definitely are some. Now, yeah. I'm going to go out here on a limb. I've heard... That could have been a girl. Yeah, that is one of the theories out there. A girl. And, and here's the thing: like, it goes without saying. We we have no clue no, because sure. if we knew, there would be consensus among the church no over idea. the history. Yeah, there's definitely no internal evidence to say exactly who it was. Yeah. there are clues that could support different theories and thoughts. I personally think Luke wrote it. I mean, I've heard that. I'm before. not going to the bank with that, but I mean, I feel fairly. Yeah, a lot of people but, think like. Um, that, that don't think Paul wrote it because they're like, man, it would be so, like the style of writing would be so far removed from how Paul normally wrote. Yeah, almost be like multiple personality, uh, multiple yeah. writing personalities. Yeah, so yeah. a lot. that's why a lot of people don't believe that it's Paul, but I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I ever heard the argument, David Allen, president of Southwestern Theological Seminary, maybe, one of those seminaries in Texas, um, he presented an argument at a, uh, pastor's conversation on, on Luke, and he was very convincing. So, yeah. if anybody's interested, the first half of his commentary on the Gospel of Luke addresses that, and it's worth a read. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got Hebrews, which is who knows, yeah. and then we have what's known as the general epistles, right? So James. that's what, James, First Peter, Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, Jude. Jude. So those are basically their letters written by other people. Hebrews right. falls into general epistles as well, yeah. even though. And that's where the book that we've been studying here, Peter. And then you have Revelation stands 
alone is a book of Revelation. That's right. Yeah. Now, one, you could argue second half of Daniel and Revelation goes together. There's definitely a link between them. There's no yeah, doubt about it. Yeah. Um, so. At least after chapter 8 of Daniel. The, yeah. eight, 8 forward is more narrative, of course. Yeah. And then after that, it just... And, and I don't know why, but most pastors, when they start preaching through the book of Daniel, they they'll always pre- stop at seven. Yeah, yeah, they'll preach on through, but then from like eight on, they're like, ah, well, we'll get to that another time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did that Wednesday night. I started teaching. I was like, man, I'm going to start teaching on all this stuff in Daniel. When On Wednesday night, you know, we were just, yeah. it was a class I was teaching. And we got through seven and then we got to eight. And I was like, yeah, we're going to come back to this. <laughs> uh, it takes significant more study. Oh, yeah. So preachers absolutely. like to do our, our, a lot of study up front and then kind of work through a text. The problem with Daniel is once you get to that other stuff, it's like, wow, there's a whole lot more stuff. Like, right, yeah, there's, right. there's a rabbit hole. Right. Um, I, I love when people come to me, I want to study the book of Daniel, and I, I just kind of smile. And like, I, I can't wait to see what they say when they get to eight. And then, we get to, and then you get to Revelation, and very few people agree on how we interpret. Sure. You, know, you got the preterist, the, the dragon. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Romans 12. Um, you got pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean. And, but the the most remarkable is it, it's, it's either you're um, a preterist or a pseudo-preterist. And what I mean when I say that, the preterists are people who believe that 90% of what takes place in Revelation has already happened. It happened in the first century. Um, and then there's like just a very few verses that actually are futuristic because you have um, idealist and futurist and then preterist. And so that sort of um, debate on how to read Revelation is actually more interesting to me than the the millennium, um, you know, yeah, are you yeah. pre-millennial and all that. Um, because I a lot of that's very interesting. and yeah. But it's really hard to, man, how do you? Yeah, one of our teachers, Mr. Murray, he always said, um, I, I go to the book of Revelation with the pre-mindset, be prepared. Yeah, <laughs> he said not necessarily pre meal pre trip. Just be prepared. That's probably the best way to approach. Yeah, it, and, and if yeah. some of these terms sound confusing and um, you're like, man, I don't know what they're talking about. That's okay because they're kind of confusing to us sometimes too. Right. It's a little difficult and heady stuff. But anyway, I thought it'd be interesting, and it did turn out to be interesting to walk through the different breakdowns of books in the Bible. We'll be back in just a few minutes to wrap up season two of the Wordsmith Podcast. Okay, we are back to look at the second half of 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. Now, Pastor Shane, you had an interesting thought about that during the break. Um, that's a reference to? Well, it's an Old Testament reference um, um, to, to submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. means to submit to or humble yourself under God's. Um, it's really kind of split. It's his sovereignty and his authority. It's kind of what that term normally means um, in the Old Testament. And he says, So that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. What does this description tell us about our adversary, the devil? He's not your friend. He's not the guy that's sitting on your shoulder. Um, I think a lot of people fall in that trap. That there's an angel, the angels over, or God's over here, and the devil's over here. Mm-hmm. Matt Pinson calls it the Fred Flintstone theology. You got the, the little, the yeah. little angel here and the little devil here. Um, no, there's a there is an enemy, and he's out to destroy you. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want to see God's plans in your life work out. And like it says, he is a warring lion, ready to devour you. Kind of like Pastor Shane, he was sharing an example, um, the animal planet. Um, yeah, animal kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the the line he's looking for it like if you've ever watched Animal you'd have to be my age to watch it but because it's not on TV anymore. Oh man, these kids see this on YouTube all the time. Um, okay, it's still, so it lives you, on. You usually me. see the the line kind of crouching in the tall grass of the plains in Africa, and they're just they're waiting for an opportunity 
to pounce and to jump on their their next prey. So it's like gazelles or wildebeest, like a herd would come through. Maybe they're looking for food themselves or water or whatever. And they come through in a herd. They're all safe in the the group. But then there's one. They're either injured or they're they're young or they're old. And they, they're kind of set back from the herd. Um, they're just kind of lagging behind. And that's the one that the lion always jumps on because they're the easiest prey, the ones that, that's not in the safety of the flock, the herd. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of biblical reference there that, you know, and there's a, it kind of lends itself to that's That's why we need to be in community, in a Christian community, because there's strength and there's security in that community um, to not get pounced on, to not be an easy prey. Uh, years ago, I heard, um, a, I believe it was a preacher, a preacher talk about the idea that it was the roaring lions, the ones who would roar and make a lot of noise. It was sort of like when blowfishes kind of blow up. Mm-hmm. It's really just to scare people away. A blowfish really can't do anything other than just kind of blow up. Right. And he was saying that roaring lions are much that same way. And he was applying it to this idea that if you are in Christ, ultimately all the devil can do is just whisper at you. He can just yeah. try to tempt you. He can try to scare you. But if you're in Christ, ultimately he can't harm you unless you allow him to harm you. That's right. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting. You know, and in that in that whole um, illustration there, um, I don't know if y'all know this, but you know, it's the female lion that actually does most of the That's hunting. Right, yeah. The, yeah. the men don't actually. I mean, the the male lions don't actually. They're not the ones that do the hunting, um, for the most yeah. part. Um, mm-hmm. And you could get into a lot of different analogies there. Sure. sure. Um, you know, I mean, even thinking about James where it says it's really our own lust and sinful desires that lead us away. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have done, a, I think, a disservice of portraying the devil as this, like, shiny red suit, pitchfork sure. kind of character that yeah. in, is almost comical yeah. in many ways. And th- this verse is very sobering to remember. Like, mm-hmm. this is someone that's out there that— I mean, they want to devour you. That's right. Like, there is no end goal except for your complete and utter spiritual right. destruction. Right. And I think that's why he calls them to be sober-minded and alert. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and I think this kind of helps to understand this a little. Like, whereas God is omnipresent, God is always with everyone. Like, he, mm-hmm. he can be... Satan's not like that. Satan can't be in a thousand places at one time. He can be in one place at one time. He is he is limited. He is a category minimalized or however yeah. you want to say that. He he can't be everywhere. Um so I think sometimes, you know, we're the old adage, you know, the devil made me do it. Well, it, it could just be our own sinful nature that made us right. do it. Um That's right. Where it may have not actually been him, um, he he does enough to get credit for. I promise yeah. you. Well, in the next verse, verse nine says, "Resist him," you know, like stay away from it. And then you pair that together with James chapter four. He says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee." Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this idea, and and this is true of temptations in our life. And let's say you got something you're struggling with. The longer you fight it, the more resistance you put up. Sure the easier it becomes to fight that temptation. Now, mm-hmm. you always have to be on guard. Sure. You always have to be careful. Sure, sure, sure. But it becomes easier and easier to face those things. When you look at something that you, a temptation you haven't given into in years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is easier to fight off them when the day that you, you know, stopped com- giving into it or yeah. whatever. And that connects with what he was just talking about, the idea of humbling yourselves or whatever. So right. Humility is ultimately uh, one of the ways that you resist the devil. Right. So definitely a great, and I think that's interesting that that's kind of the last warning or it's this, like Peter wants to leave you with this. You're about to go through difficult times. Let me remind you this. You are going to have to resist the devil. Mm -hmm. And there's a tie in there to me. When we go through difficult times in our lives, I believe we're, I believe we're more susceptible to temptations. Sure. I I believe that those are the opportunities when we are weaker that Satan says, now's my time. Now's my opportunity. And I remember even uh, when my dad got diagnosed with cancer, Ashley and I sat back and we prayed that night. Like we had just flown across country and we prayed that night for protection because we knew the next season of our life would be difficult and trying and tempting Um, because your guards are down, you're tired, you're weak. And it's in those difficult times 
that you must focus on resisting Satan and right. um, the devil. Yeah. And uh, he goes on to say, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. Just a great reminder that Christ wins. Mm -hmm. That's right. That this is just temporary. Um, he goes on to talk about the faithful brother who has written to you briefly in order to encourage you to testify this is true grace of God. She who sits in Babylon, chosen to agree with you. But then I wanted to point this out, verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love or a holy kiss. Pastor Shane, when's the last time you greeted someone with a holy kiss? Yesterday. No, not your wife. Oh. <laughs> that, that, you you that, did not specify. I don't think that's a holy kiss. <laughs> no, it that's was a romantic kiss. It can be both. It can be holy, but that's necessarily mean it's not holy. Yes, but it, but it doesn't mean, that's not what Peter's talking about here. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, uh, a guy who teaches at uh, Welch College, um, Barry Raper, yeah. he was talking about this one time because, you know, he's from um, Red Bay, Alabama, and he was on a mission trip in Africa, and it, it was very similar to this. Um, and so... In Africa, when, when the leader of the tribe is walking and talking with you, you, you must hold hands with them. And so he said the guy reached down and just grabbed his hand to walk with him. He said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm from Red Bay, Alabama. He said, we don't just normally do that. And so he's like, man, it, was, it felt so awkward and odd because you're in a different um, culture. Yeah. I mean, you're on the other side of the world. Well, I, this is probably a cultural thing. I don't think it, it's literal for the today um, believer. So I think it's more of a cultural thing that he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, absolutely. This and I, I got no point other than I just wanted to ask Pastor Shane if he had holy kisses. I knew he was going to go to Jamie. But um, anyway, this has been a fun season of the Wordsmith Podcast. We pray and we hope that these discussions have been helpful to you. Maybe there's something you even go back and listen to again and again to help you dive in to this book. Um, and we'll be back in the fall with another season of the Wordsmith Podcast. No matter how you listen to us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or anywhere else podcasts can play, review us, like us, share it, and we'll be back next season with another